Simon says, everybody, please stand up. Simon says, lift your hands up in the air. Simon says, shake your hands. Okay, you can sit down. Simon says, you can sit down. Now that we have practiced being Pentecostals, I'd like to say that, you know, our main worship style here isn't Pentecostal in particular, but it wouldn't hurt us to move just a little bit more. And what I really want to suggest is that we could really benefit, we could learn from our Pentecostal siblings in terms of a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And theologically, I would suggest that uh, we should all be Pentecostals in a way, right? Anabaptist Pentecostals. And in fact, in the early Anabaptist tradition, there were people called spiritualists because of their emphasis on the, the, the work and the presence and the movement of the Holy Spirit. Well, on Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit in a new way following the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And we heard in our scripture passage this morning from Acts 2 how the Spirit descended upon those early believers in the form of tongues of fire that came down upon them. And uh, since that day, when those first believers were filled with the Holy Spirit, the filling has been part of what it means to be a Christian. Not everyone gets filled with the Spirit in the sense that our Pentecostal siblings might experience it or describe it. But one way or another, whatever your worship style, whatever your experience, all Christians, by definition, are touched by the Spirit. The Spirit is at work in many ways throughout Scripture, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. In fact, in the, at the very beginning of our Bible, um, beginning of the Hebrew Bible, the first two verses of Genesis say this. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. And the Hebrew word there for wind is the same word that means spirit. And so there's probably a double meaning here. The spirit of God swept over this, this expanse in the act of creation. And we hear about the Spirit as we continue through the Old Testament. Just one example, in Isaiah 11. This is a passage that we often hear during Advent. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So the Spirit is already at work, present, moving. And then we heard in the Acts 2 passage that Carol read for us about uh, Peter quoting from uh, the prophet Joel and the spirit being poured out. Joel in the Old Testament was saying, in that day, my spirit will be poured out upon people, upon all people, male and female, slave and free, old and young. So this Holy Spirit that we read about in Acts comes in, in a new way, in a different sort of manifestation in Acts 2, but not for the first time. The Spirit has been present and moving throughout God's history. When we get into the New Testament, we continue hearing about how the Spirit shows up. We see in in Luke chapter 3, where Jesus is baptized, we're told that in that baptism event, the, the Spirit descended upon him. And then as we continue in Luke, I feel like I've got to make some, you know, lots of Luke references today in honor of in honor of Tim and his Luke scholarship. We continue in Luke into chapter 4, and the first story there is is Jesus being tempted in the the wilderness. 
And we're told that going into that, it says Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit in the, wilder, in the wilderness. And so the Spirit is, is from the start active and present and strengthening in the life of Jesus. In that same chapter, Jesus introduces his own mission. This is in Luke 4 by quoting from the prophet Isaiah. And then Jesus applies Isaiah's words to himself. And this is what he says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the spirit has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. The spirit has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We see the spirit's work of empowerment and direction in the life of Jesus, orienting him toward the poor, toward the captives, the blind, the oppressed. So the Spirit of God is present in creation. The Spirit is present throughout the Old Testament. The Spirit is present in the life and ministry of Jesus. What about today? How does the Spirit show up today? Well, to think about how the Spirit continues to be present and working today we need to understand where we are in history. I want to share a metaphor developed by the theologian and, and vicar Sam Wells. And it roughly goes like this. So imagine that you're a, you've discovered a Shakespeare play buried in the musty archives of some British museum and has never been discovered before. And you discover this play and you read through it and you, what you find is it was set out as a five-act play, but what you have is you, you've read through Acts 1, 2, and 3, and then Act 4 is missing, but Act 5 is, is included, and so, you know, you take this to the public, and your theater troupe has been invited to perform this play. You have the first three acts. You know how the story ends, and you're assigned to improvise Act 4. So at first, it's like, well, improv, you just make stuff up, right? Well, no, not really. I don't know much about improv, but from what I'm told, there are protocols and patterns, and it takes training and practice to be good at improvisation. And when you improvise, you have to do it in ways that are consistent with what came before. So you're called to improvise act four, but it has to pick up the storylines from acts one, two, and three. It has to be consistent with the language and the concept world of the, the playwright who wrote Acts 1, 2, and 3. And if you've got Act 5, the storyline you improvise has to move towards that ending. We know the ending of the story. We don't know all the details in particular, but we know that in the end, we know the story of, of how the story of, of God ends. We know some about it. So, so this is this metaphor of that play. Wells applies this to our theological history, right? Act one is the act of creation, where God created the heavens and the earth. And these things unfolded in, in ways beyond our understanding, in fabulous ways that we, we continue to celebrate the beauty of God's creation. And act two is the history of the people of Israel. It's Abram being called as, as the father of many people, this, this teaching that all the world is going to be blessed through these people. And then the ups and downs and 
the, uh, the acts of faith and the acts of disobedience and the wanderings and the, the straying away from God and the prophets calling back to the ways of God. This is act two. And then act three is Jesus and the life and teachings of Jesus, his baptism, his healings, his teachings, his confrontations with the authorities, his death, his resurrection. Act four is the story of the church. And we get just the beginning of that story in scripture. And, and I want to look at how they begin to improvise. And then act five is the new creation. That's the end. That's the fullness of the kingdom of God. And as I started to indicate, we know how the story ends. We don't know the fullness of how that story ends, all the details, but that's okay. God writes act five, right? We can trust that, that God is, uh, is on that. Well, so God has invited us then to improvise in act four. And there are a lot of issues that come up for us in this day and age. The age of the church. A lot of things that were not addressed in Acts 1, 2, and 3. They weren't talked about. We don't have any script about how to respond to global warming. There's nothing, there's no specific text that says, here's what we do in the face of the racism that is present in our midst because of the history of chattel slavery in this country. We have no pre-written script for how to manage conflict between nuclear powers. Scripture doesn't tell us how to develop Christ-shaped character in a culture where the entertainment and social media industries push for a very different type of moral formation. Whatever the ethical issues of our day, immigration, conspiracy theories, hunger, fossil fuels, white supremacy, affordable housing, the growing wealth gap, racial inequities, all of these ethical issues of our day, we find very few rules or specific instructions in scripture to tell us how to act, how to, how to perform, how to, what exactly we're supposed to do in act four. So how do we live faithfully? How do we try to live consistently with the way of Jesus? Well, as I indicated, from what I'm told with improvisation, it's not a free-for-all. So we draw on everything that has come before. We keep learning about how God acted in creation, in Israel, in Jesus, because the language and the, the storyline gives us a trajectory. It's not a free-for-all. We have to write this. We have to act this out in ways that, that embody the story of God. And while we don't have a script, we have resources for the assignment. We have scripture, which I've referred to, but we also have the Holy Spirit. Or to use the language of the gospel, we've been given the Spirit as our advocate or helper. We are not left alone to improvise. Scripture gives us some insight into how the Spirit moves and works and guides in the post-Pentecost church's production of Act 4. As happened in the Pentecost account in Acts 2, today we still have the Spirit to fill us so that we might be moved to do things and say things that we didn't know we had the ability or the courage to do or say. The Spirit also continues today to equip us. So there's this filling, but there's also this equipping. 
that we see described in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So I'm going to read just some of this. I won't read the whole thing, but this is 1 Corinthians 12. I'll pick up in verse 4. And this passage is, is all about spiritual gifts. And so verse 4, there are different spiritual gifts, but the same spirit. And there are different ministries and the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God who produces all of them in everyone. A demonstration of the spirit is given to each person for the common good. I just want to note that. Each person here has been given something by the Holy Spirit for the common good of this community. And then Paul goes on to list some of the specific gifts, and I want to pick it up in verse 11. All these things are produced by the one and same Spirit who gives what the Spirit wants to each person. So the Spirit fills us, and then today the Spirit continues to gift us for our mission as the church, for our mission as the people of God, for our mission as Pasadena Mennonite. Third, the Spirit guides us. And we see this in the early church as they begin to improvise. We're going to look at a little bit of Acts 15. And there is a major dispute that's been broiling in the early church. It's, it's about circumcision and about whether Gentiles who are being folded into the story of God have to be circumcised or not. And in many ways, it parallels the disagreement that's been at play in our denomination and others over how we embrace our LGBTQ siblings. Well, the dispute in Acts is bubbling to the surface and is boiling over. And so they, they call, particularly in Antioch, which is kind of up in, I think it's what's part of Syria today, but it's, it's way north of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is, is sort of the power hub of the early church. And they call a council, and the elders and the apostles meet at the Jerusalem council to hash this out. And they're trying to figure out what to do. And we're told there's debate that goes on. Interesting. I mean, you should read it because the way they debate, every single person gets to speak. They stay silent when others are speaking. And, and there's this communal discernment that plays out. And they come to a consensus that circumcision is not going to be required. And so they write a letter to send up to Antioch. So this is what the letter says. The apostles and the elders to the Gentile brothers and sisters in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We've heard that some of our number have disturbed you with unsettling words that we didn't authorize. We reached a united decision. This is part of where we get our a consensus model with how we try to make decisions here. We reached a united decision to select some delegates and send them to you, along with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul. These people have devoted their lives to the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas. They will confirm what we have written. The Holy Spirit has led us to the decision that no burden should be placed on you other than these essentials. Refuse food offered to idols, blood, the meat from strangled animals, and sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid such things. Farewell. So they reached a united decision. And then it says, the Holy Spirit led us. Or, or in another translation, which I think is, is a little bit more accurate, say in, in the NRSV, it said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That's how they made their decision. It seemed good 
to the Holy Spirit and to us. There was a collaboration in play between the movement of the Spirit and the, the giftings of the people to come to this decision. So the Holy Spirit was involved in the discernment process. So this is what it looks like. This is what it looked like in the early church to improvise in the theodrama, right, of, of Act 4. Moral discernment guided by all the traditions of Scripture, by the life and ministry of Jesus, guided by the Holy Spirit, and open to new ways forward in light of who Jesus is that may lead to reformulated understandings of the qualities and qualifications for the kingdom of God. That same spirit that guided the Jerusalem council is sent to us today. The same spirit is still with us to fill and move and guide our discernment processes as we seek to live faithfully. Now, I will acknowledge that how the spirit works can be really hard to get a handle on. Sometimes in our personal lives, in our communal discernment, it's hard to know whether the decision we made was truly guided by the Spirit or due to any number of other factors. But in an age where some only believe in what can be measured and weighed and experimented with in reproducible ways according to the scientific method, I still believe in a spiritual dimension that can't quite be captured by that way of thinking. I don't discount that way of thinking. But I still believe in the spiritual dimension and assume most of you do too, otherwise you wouldn't have showed up here this morning. I believe that the Holy Spirit does move in our midst and does guide and influence our communal discernment. Others in this community have attested to that. Uh, and, and I'm so built up and encouraged when people like a couple weeks ago, Melba was sharing, she, she was the worship planner. And after the service, she talked about how she felt moved by the spirit to include something in the service and, and responded to that. And it fit like this visual she did fit amazingly with what Tim was preaching on in ways that they hadn't coordinated. But she, she identified that as a prompting of the spirit. In an email exchange with Marilyn, I had this last week, she mentioned feeling prompted by the Spirit to explore some things. Just a couple examples of how the Holy Spirit, there is a sensitivity. The Holy Spirit is in our midst. The Holy Spirit is present and moving. Well, for some, this whole paradigm of living in an unscripted time can be like really unsettling. The idea that we don't have enough laws and rules in scripture to tell us exactly how to address the issues today can be kind of scary. But God has given us all the resources we need to improvise act four. The story we live out is to be consistent with all that came before and move towards the ending, the final act. We already know how that ends. And God has given us the Holy Spirit for that process of improvising to fill us to gift us and to guide us. So today on this Pentecost Sunday, we are especially aware in our own little community that we have an unscripted story ahead of us as we say goodbye to our pastors, Tim and Marianne and their daughters, Junia and Noah. And we have great anticipation for how the Holy Spirit will accompany them and bless them in their next leg of the journey even as we wonder what our own future might look like 
here. May we all experience anew the filling of the Spirit, the giftings of the Spirit, and the guiding presence of the Holy Spirit, our helper, as we seek to faithfully improvise the next scene in God's grand stage production. <laughs>